guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, to you, Kathy, to, um, to your family, to Christine and Steve and Joanne, and to your children, Mark's ne- uh, niece and nephews, sorry, nephew and nieces, Tim and Rachel and Yasmin, on behalf of our whole parish, we want to extend to you our most sincere condolences over the loss of Mark and express to you uh, what a privilege it is for me to be able to preside here over his, over his burial rites um, and what, a, what an honor it is to be able to see the way in which you've carried this very difficult cross uh, with grace and with strength and support for one another. And on behalf of Kathy and Steve and Joanne and Christine and their family, I want to just express our real gratitude. I know you've all had a chance to do that here in the context of, of the visitation, but thank you for your presence here today, uh, how meaningful that is uh, to be able to make the time and, and support of this family and to assemble here in God's house to praise him for the gift of Mark's life and to return him to his creator. This man who was taken from us so suddenly, so painfully, of course I speak only of our pain, uh, for his passing was altogether painless. And about that we will say no more. We're here to honor and remember a son, a brother, a super fan, a son of St. Patrick and of the Emerald Isle, and that of Columbus, son of his parish, Christ the King Parish, And we do so uh, with gratitude, with gratitude for his life, conscious of the burdens that he carried, but grateful, grateful, seeing his life now, in a sense, as a whole. And that what began for him as he was brought into this world by the love of his parents, adopted by his heavenly father, has now reached its completion. As consoling as that is, uh, the difficulty of burying a child is possibly one of the greatest difficulties any of us ever would have to, to suffer. So I just want to say, Kathy, how sorry I am and um, how glad I am that you have such good support and love in your family and in your parish, your community here. We're here in the solemn celebration of the Easter season, the Easter holiday, just fresh in our minds. The the smell of incense and of the lilies here is is barely faded from our celebration on Sunday. A difficult triduum, our Holy Thursday and Good Friday, had a different feel to it this year, didn't it? But we know that because of Easter, all is not as it appears. In the Gospel, Mary Magdalene is speaking with Jesus though she doesn't know it. What a mysterious event that is. I pondered that many hours in prayer, imagining what that would be like to be in Mary Magdalene's place. Overcome by sorrow, her disappointment, her tears, blinding her so that she can't see what is there 
right before her. What a mysterious thing. But also then, at the same time, one of the most tender moments in all of the gospel, where Jesus reveals himself to her and she recognizes him by the saying of her name. That's how she comes to recognize Jesus. And you can imagine how he would have pronounced that name in a way that she would have recognized only he said. In that moment, recognition happened. And not only her world, but the world is turned inside out. Not only her own personal sorrow and her disappointment that the one she thought was the Messiah had been put to death, a total failure. Not only that sorrow and that disappointment, but the very finality of death itself. That too has been undone. <clears throat> so ever since that morning in a garden outside of Jerusalem, thousands of years ago, not everything is as it appears. That's what defines our prayer today. Your prayer today. We don't always get to see the full truth of things. But, but it's there. We know it's there. We know it's there by faith. And that faith is grounded on something that goes beyond just my own personal desire for it to be true. But the fact, the historical fact that happened in that garden outside of Jerusalem, the most startling Sunday morning the world ever saw. But it, it's easy to be deceived by appearances. It's easy to wonder when life ends in this way what it all means. Maybe death is as powerful as it seems. You told me about Mark's life, about his joys and his sorrows. He had some tough situations in his life, a, a tough hand dealt to him through no fault of his own. You watched over the years as he struggled to see clearly, to, to think clearly, to be steady. But each of you saw beyond the appearances. You saw the person who God had given to you, a life that was sacred, something to be cherished and welcomed and helped and carried along with him. You mentioned others who did that along with you, in particular, Keith O'Connor, Mark's childhood friend, all the O'Connor family, who saw that there was a man there in need of friendship, who responded with care and affection and thoughtfulness. Those actions resound in eternity and last forever. Those little acts of love and thoughtfulness now sustain this man and this family in their grief. I could see how grateful you were to the therapists that had worked with him, who saw beyond the appearances of what his, what his struggles were, that the cognitive therapy they gave him for the first time in his life really began to help him turn a corner, to help him make real gains. Your gratitude for that, their willingness to see beyond those appearances and work 
with Mark as he was to help him. And you spoke about how he was in a good place. A good place when he died. Better than he had been for many years and with a great deal of promise on the horizon. Thanks to you who saw past those appearances. But on a deeper level, even, we have to continue to set aside what appears to get to the truth of things. As St. Paul says in that reading you chose, the same readings that were read at Don's funeral not so many years ago. We look to not what is seen, but to what is unseen. The victory won for us in Christ. Because it's easy. It's easy to feel like this world is all there is. That this is the only explanation we're ever going to be ever, ever be able to have. To shrug our shoulders and say, well, it is what it is. And it's easy to feel that whatever there is in the life beyond, it's, it's something less than what we have here. That there is a kind of shadowy, ghostly, cloudy realm. A pale imitation of what is solid and hard and real. And it's easy to allow death to, suck, to over, overwhelm us, for us to succumb to, the, to its influence, to its intimidation, to sap us of our joy and our hope. And to feel like it's all just a, a joke, senseless. There are many who live in such a place without hope. But that's not what our faith reveals to us. That's not what our faith gives us. In fact, we accept and believe that in the in the presence of the glory of the risen Jesus in the world to come, life is more real, more substantial. We are more alive than here in this valley of tears. That there we no longer see as we do here dimly, as in a mirror, trying to catch a reflection, to look over our shoulder but rather we see face to face, clearly. There are two sides to this world. There's the side that we often see. That's our daily, I think, habit, is to see something like the back of a, of a tapestry. One of those intricate portraits woven out of threads, many different threads, or a piece of, of embroidery but we only see the back. We see the parts of it that were left behind in the, in the making of the beautiful image on the front. We see it only in the disorder and the disarray of the making. Only when that image is turned around and we see it aright, when we see it from the, from the perspective of the maker, does the ugliness and the disorder and the disorganization of, of that image finally reveal itself in the fullness of its beauty? And that disorder makes sense. 
One of my favorite images of the afterlife. It's her own book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. It talks about what, what the next world is like in terms that we can all really grasp. Right? He's, he's writing in, in, in poetic terms, literary terms. This isn't the, the exact literal truth of what, of what happens when we die. But he, he explains it in terms that, that make sense to us. And he uses some of the imagery that's a little more contemporary. There's the traditional image of the, the ferryman who, who takes souls after death across the, the river Styx. Instead, in Lewis's image, they pull up to the gates of heaven in a city bus. And they get off. They disembark from the bus and they begin to walk around in the sort of outer precincts of heaven. Beautiful landscape, grassy, white clouds, trees, mountains in the distance. But it's not heaven yet. It's purgatory. It's a place of preparation to enter heaven. And it's a very intense place. It's more real than this world, not less real. They're not ghosts. They're souls. They're immortal souls, finally drawing near to the presence of their maker. And so everything in that part of the, of, of, of the afterlife is a very intense version of what we experience here. The grass is so substantial that it, it doesn't bend under their feet. It's painful to walk across the grass. Acorns are falling from the trees and they strike them with all the force of a stone. And no one can remain outside during a quick rain shower, which their guides warn them would tear them to pieces. You see, they're the insubstantial ones. They don't have the mass with a weight of glory, to use St. Paul's word, to live in this gloriously intense place. And it starts out as kind of painful, like coming outside from a dim room into the full brightness of the sunshine. Eyes are overwhelmed. And they get to choose whether to stay or to go. They can stay there in what feels like it's difficult, where they can go back to another place where they remain the pale, ghostly versions of themselves. But those who remain, those who wish to stay awake in this intensity, in the fullness of that bright sunshine, that breathe the air of heaven, they hear the music of heaven from a distance, and they walk the paths of heaven, painful as they are, and slowly the weakness and the, and the fear and the darkness ebb away from their souls. The sound of that great heavenly festival comes closer and closer. Their excitement builds to enter into that festival, the presence of God's holy throne amidst the rejoicing angels in their eternal dance, the saints enthralled with the glorious majesty of God fascinated with the beauty and the goodness and the mercy at the heart of heavenly life. And from what I hear about Mark, he's going to love it there. Mark loved to be in the midst of a crowd, didn't he? He wanted to mix it up. He loved the, the concerts, the festivals, the fairs. But heaven is the fullness of what every Irish fest, every concert, is a pale imitation 
a dim reflection in a mirror that in its fullness will be present one day. We believe it to be true, even though we only see it from one side. So we pray today. We pray for Mark. Mark, listen for your name. Listen for the Lord to speak your name as he spoke Mary Magdalene's. Respond to him. We're calling to you. We call to you with our prayers. Stay awake. Listen. Don't slide back into the sleep that you find yourself in now. Stay awake by the mercy of God. Respond to his call. Respond unencumbered by the burdens you carried in this life. Burdens that you struggled to carry with the help of your family and friends. Respond to the Lord and speak in response. Rabboni, teacher, Messiah, maker, my Lord, my Savior. The prayers of the church are powerful to assist him. We are connected to him as in a body with bonds that are far greater, far more intense than the sinews and nerves of, a, of an earthly body. Our prayers do him great good. Let's storm the heavens and send him there with all our hearts. And I say to you who grieve as well, listen for your name. How often do we find ourselves blinded with our tears, overcome by sorrow, unable to recognize the Lord who's speaking with us, as in the garden that Sunday morning outside Jerusalem. You too, listen. You too, trust that though we do not see the other side of the weave of this world, yet, it's there, waiting, all too real. You too, look for that glimpse of glory that turns us right side up and sets us on our feet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.